0: From a real estate perspective, my team and I are continuing to acquire as long as we can buy at a discount. And we're typically looking for projects that have multiple exit strategies. So can we buy at a discount? Can we renovate it to create equity and value into the property? And then can we provide multiple exit strategies in terms of a refinance, which would be really expensive right now, a sale you know, to get all the money plus the equity back out, or hold it as a long-term rental, collect on the cash flow, and then weather out a correction, you know, however long that may be.
1: This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Kevin Dugan. Today we're learning about his journey from being a busy professional sales engineer based in LA, based in Los Angeles, doing deals in Chicago remotely his investment that he made in time, money, energy, the types of deals that he was doing, how his investment strategy and philosophy evolved over time, and he eventually escaped his day job with. So great conversation, you're gonna learn a lot. He's really doing big things remotely, and I know there are a lot of you out there, higher earning busy professionals who live in expensive areas, Want to get started investing? Maybe not sure what to do, how to find deals. Well, Kevin did it. Maybe his way would work for you. Once again, I'm your host Taylor Loda. I'm a real estate investor, and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate through my company, NT Capital. If you'd like to learn more about me, what I do, and learn about investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com. Fill out the form, schedule a call with me, and I'll look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating interview on Apple Podcast. Five stars if you don't mind, guys. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, once again, our guest today is Kevin Dugan from Altis Investment Group. Without any further ado, here we go. Kevin, thank you for joining us today. Awesome, Taylor. Excited to be here. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about yourself, your business, and then we'll dive into it?
0: Yeah, I would love to give a little bit of background. So I'm one of the classic purple pill readers back of the day with Rich Dad, Poor Dad, read it in college. And um, at that point, decided that I wanted to be a business owner and entrepreneur. Before that, I changed my major five times. So wow. it's okay for those to uh, not know what you want to do in life. But that totally inspired me to go down the path that I have today and fortunately put me down the real estate entrepreneurship arena. Uh, So started investing in 2012 while I was a sales engineer for an industrial robotics company. I'd fly to Chicago on weekends, did fix and flips abroad from Los Angeles in Chicago for a couple of years, switched to buying Section 8 rental properties in the south suburbs. Very big difference than the south side of Chicago. (laughs) Uh, eventually built a small property management company, started bringing construction company in-house so that we could control um, the quality of our renovations and provide a higher quality product for our tenant base. And then built this up over time to the point now we're doing a bunch of, you know, we have construction in-house, multiple crews, fix and flips active all the time, value-add real estate, some small multifamily. Did a syndication last year. So fully vertically integrated firm, and working to continue to add more to your construction arm. So when there's deals that pop up, we know how to take them down and you know add that value. Awesome! I love it. I really want to
1: highlight. Uh, start by highlighting that remote investing. You kicked it off living in L. A., which you still live there. Investing in Chicago. Yep. Get on a plane, flying out there. I mean, I want to dig into that first because that's a big thing that a lot of our listeners might live in areas like LA, high expensive areas. It's tough to build cash flow, So they want to go somewhere else. I mean, how did you pick Chicago and how did you deal with, I mean, that's a huge amount of logistics to have to go through to to invest in Chicago.
0: Yeah, I would say like, I like to choose the hard path at times, (laughs) path of resistance. It's given me a lot of skills to be comfortable in the current environment. I had a buddy who's from Indiana and he knew that I wanted to get into real estate. He was a construction manager, project manager for Westfield Mall. So he was working on 20 million, $30 million projects. And it's like, hey, to do a tiny little 50, $75,000 renovation on a property, no, no big deal. So that gave us the confidence to be able to acquire projects in Chicago. Um, we were buying properties at 50,000 back in 2012, putting about 50K into it, selling for 170. So a nice little profit. It's just the speed of execution and finding the right contractors that wouldn't just take forever and to actually execute and would play games was a difficult endeavor. So contractors is definitely a challenging aspect of the business, especially nowadays with you know material prices, you know, being sky high with inflation, contractors being in, you know, heavy demand. But I would emphasize finding collaborative partnerships where if you could provide something to the team, you know, if you can bring the capital, take down the deal, you'll find a way to uh, find a nice, happy medium with your contractor where they they feel like they're taken care of and they'll take care of the project. But that's a tough one (laughs) one from across the country. So it sounds like
1: what you brought to the table getting started was the capital. You, You found somebody to help you boots on the ground wise, but you're... Value add, in a sense, was
0: the ability to, to close on the deal and fund the renovation. Is that right? 100 percent. And that's one of the beautiful things about real estate in general. You know, you can bring intangibles and tangibles to the table. You know if you're really analytical you can analyze deals do market analysis and figure out where there's potential to buy you know of course if you have a good network or personal funds yourself from your profession um you can fund the deals and also use retirement accounts you know self-directed iras self-directed 401ks or just cash in the bank um of course there are like you you can pull out credit cards wouldn't do that right now to do like cash out from credit cards too risky right now and then really lean on in this environment working with people who are very experienced is what i'd recommend so how can you provide value to those who are experienced to you know maybe hop on their deals and learn from them but also earn money with them
1: okay okay that makes sense
0: so you mentioned also jumping on a plane to
1: fly to chicago how many times did you you know have to go and do market due diligence trips or just trips to get there to kind of you know get your head on straight and figure out and and close that first deal, because that's a pretty big investment to start you know getting into the business. And that's, you're going to have to recoup that, of
0: course, uh, eventually. So that's a, a big uh, pill to swallow. Yeah, I mean, from a financial perspective, I would honestly say those first two years were, let's just call it close to a wash. You know, I paid for my education. We flipped three houses, we wholesaled two back, but it took two years to do that many projects. So it's really, really slow. Relatively speaking, especially if you're splitting a profit with a partner, Um, we'd fly to Chicago once a month. You know, I had companion pass at the time, fly there for a weekend. Like after work, I'd leave at like, you know, seven o'clock, get in 1 a.m. in Chicago, fly back Sunday night. So it was a grind um, without a doubt. But those are the types of things that, you know, if you're willing to put in some sacrifice, not everybody has that time commitment to be able to do that. You know, you could grow your wealth pretty significantly in real estate. And that foundation is like you've carried know, over to all the projects that I do now.
1: Well, that is a, exactly uh, like you said, I was going to say it's a big time commitment. I mean, there I imagine at the time you're a young guy, I don't know how long you were out of college, but it sounds like young guy, very little life commitments as far as, you know, other things you needed to spend your time on other than your job. So you have yep. the time to invest in building the business.
0: Yeah, and you know, it, in terms of life, there's a lot of different ways to to live and be mm-hmm. very happy. Um, had I, if I could have gone back in retrospect, um, you know, I would have cut out aspects of the current business that I have right now. Um, I would have invested in other people's deals. Um, I would have been more engaged in networking events um, because that gets you exposure to people who are, you know, a decade in, like myself, to give you tips on like what to do and what not to do. So there's a tremendous amount of resources available online YouTube, bigger pockets, um, podcasts. There's plenty of podcasts out there, Facebook groups that can help you accelerate the speed at which you do your real estate business. And once again, point of emphasis that I put right now is like, hey, you know, how valuable is your time? Because it's going to take you a while to start from scratch to be able to operate and execute a deal versus if you can invest in somebody's deal, you know, make sure you ask a lot of questions, like invest in their project. Learn what they do and then decide if you want to be an active investor um, over time because you can do it. It's just you're going to have to put in the hours to get the reps to gain the skills to be able to execute. Yeah, there's there's a bit of a, an
1: equation or a balancing act that, that you can draw between capital versus hustle. Any capital that you want to remove from bringing to the table, you're going to have to make up for it in hustle on the other side of the the scale, I suppose, if you will. So, 100%. Your strategy continued to evolve. You mentioned you added in, did, did some wholesales and you eventually moved out to the suburbs, which is a, a pretty big difference. So let's walk down the path of your investing strategy and, and how it evolved. And especially those those first two years being a financial wash, I mean, I would imagine, were you looking at yourself saying, yeah, this is fun, but I'm not making money at this at the end of the day? I mean, did you have
0: that realization? Yeah, it's it was one of those where my evolution as like a business owner has changed. So reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I got the entrepreneurial bug. So I'm stuck on like, I want to be a business owner. Not recommended for everybody. Um, you know, it, it requires a lot of work, sacrifice, challenges and skills that you have to learn, but it is also a very engaging lifestyle with a lot of, you know, education that comes along the way. So Um, I took a break for around eight months trying to figure out what to do while just working my engineering position, sales engineer position, saving money. And then my stepdad introduced me to affordable housing tenants in the suburbs. You know, at the time we bought houses for the first two houses I bought were for $75,000 and we were renting them for 1800 a month. Yeah. Yeah. And recently, you know, we sold those houses for one for 190,000 and then another one for 165,000. So it was never supposed to be an appreciation play. I'd always thought, you know, like, hey, this is the cash flow, you know, cash cow, pretty much a 2% rule for anybody who's learned the 1% rule. For every $100,000, you want to usually get about $1,000 in gross income. And we were doubling that. So, um, from a cash flow perspective, it made a lot of sense. But from a technical standpoint, when you operate, when you're engaged in the business, you know, it's a little bit harder to do something from across the country. So, Once again, a big emphasis that I make now is like, how do you build teams with the right people in places so that you don't have to always put your time into the business? So even if you make less money, but it's somebody else's time and they're operating it, you can focus your time on what you do best. So um, once again, switch over to the affordable housing and rental properties in 2015, acquired like three the first year, then five the next year, and then just kept stacking, stacking on from there. And then, you know, I've been slow around the five and You know, right now I'm under contract on like eight properties, like we're scheduled to close in the next month. It's a little bit of an outlier um, right now, but that's because we're still building out our construction company and really making a pivot with the right personnel in place. Nice. That's awesome. And a lot of people are, I think,
1: afraid, I suppose, if you will, of the especially government supported affordable housing you know, Section 8 and all those other things out there for yep. for a lot of reasons or maybe concerned about the, are the tenants going to be a headache because they're going to take care of the property I have all these headaches because we all hear horror stories about no matter what you're investing in. But I feel like Section 8, the horror stories seem to be kind of worse than others. And I've had several many Section 8 tenants, so I'm not opposed to it. It's just commenting about the horror stories that you hear. How yeah. has your
0: experience been? Um, I would say it's been, you'll have stories for sure. You'll have some difficult tenants without a doubt, but the big thing is to find good people. You know, we got 300 million people here in the United States, 8 billion in the world or 7 point something billion. I'm not sure right now. Anyways, many billions in the world. And there are individuals that you're, that need help assistance from the government, many children, you know, just, uh, family issues, elderlies with disabilities. So these households actually truly need the support of the government. And there's a long, long wait list on this program. If you get kicked off this program for drug use, for violence, crimes, like you don't get back on. And that could be the the point of your family having a home to live in or not. So of course, those on lower income typically have some challenges with, you know, proper education and, you know, good habits from, you know, Middle class or wealthier households. However, it doesn't make them a bad person. And as long as you're able to find the right people who can hopefully treat the house or property as a home, they'll usually live there for many years. You know, we have tenants who've lived in our properties for five years. Vacancies are one of your largest expenses for property turnover. And if you're able to reduce that to, you know, one to 2% vacancy, like that's an incredible return profile. So ultimately, if you're in real estate long enough and you own rental properties, you're going to deal with some bad apples regardless. The question is, how do you make sure that you find the highest quality people um, who will hopefully take care of the property as long as possible? So, what does that mean in a, if we can, if
1: we can, you know, being an engineering background yourself, if we can quantify that, especially um, considering, you know, fair housing law and all the other things that we have to comply with as property owners. What is yep. what is good, good people mean to you, you know, in your business as far as maybe a checkbox or, you know, a list of requirements or anything that, that you have there?
0: Yeah. So um, let me, since this is going to be recorded, I will try to be very careful on the fair housing element. Of course, yeah. as a property manager, you have your set criteria for what's required in a tenant. So income verification credit score requirements. You can't qualify for any type of religious or, you know, any type of ethnic or, you know, gender issues that that's like, of course, not included in there. But one element that I would say is something that you can start to get subtleties on is, okay, most aren't going to meet the requirements for credit score. So You're going to make a special exception in most every case. Let's just keep it like that. You don't want anybody who's created any like violent crimes. I don't actually think you can qualify for violent crimes. You're going to have to forgive me on some of this stuff. This is off the record. Depends on your area. Yeah. Um, But, you know, you're looking for those who aren't going to bring more trouble to them. So you wouldn't disqualify for them. You would just disqualify them for their, you know, credit score in most situations. And then you're just, some of the more subtleties are, how do they treat their family? So if their children come there, are they polite to their children? Are they respectful to you? Do they show up on time? When you look at their car, is it in shambles or is it, you know, in good working condition? Do they look like they're going to keep things clean? And then um, you read into the story of why their credit's good and bad. So, all right, you know, did they have a foreclosure eight years ago? Well, shoot, 2014, maybe 10 years ago, 2012. (laughs) Like a lot of people went through very challenging times financially. We make sure that they don't have any past due utility bills, electrical, gas, internet, and then water, because if they can't pay their (laughs) basic utilities, they're not paying their rent. So you look for the accumulation of their story and you put it together to figure out like, okay, does this person have a a probability of being a, a better tenant? And then job stability, are they working for the government? You know, are they working for a school district? Do they have some sort of like union type position? So you just try to piece together as much information as possible to determine, all right, do I feel comfortable with this family and household being in our home? Um, And it's not a perfect science, but you try to, you know, gather as much information as possible.
1: Nice. Okay. Hopefully that's helpful.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh,
1: And another aspect you mentioned is the number of properties that you were buying. And we were talking before we started recording of the number of properties that you have bought. And that's another sticking point that I think a lot of folks run into is like, okay, I've got X number of dollars. I want to go buy rentals. I can buy, you know, Y number of rentals and Y is not enough. That's not enough rentals to, you know, set me financially free and put me in a good position.
0: How did you fund those various acquisitions? Um, A lot of projects were self-funded to begin with. And then over time, I started to realize like, since I held many rental properties that, you know, even though we were doing refinances and taking out a lot of the money, a lot of money just gets trapped as equity in those buildings and you collect the cash flow. So um, going forward is, you know, owning a real estate investment firm. Most of my job now is to focus on raising capital and using OPM, other people's money, not necessarily using it, but helping other investors grow their wealth through. Yeah, deploying it, employing it, growing it, being a custodian of it. Because ultimately, um, in order to do bigger and bigger projects um, that allow for more value to be created, you know, in terms of providing more homes to good families or employing, um, you know, good team members to grow the company and paying vendors and paying out investors. Ultimately, you have to produce more product and create more value. So. And in order to buy real estate, you need money to buy it. Unfortunately, you just can't buy for free. This wasn't like two thousand seven, two thousand eight, where you could just sign your dog up for, you know, <laughs> a stated income loan. This times are different now, so they actually do some underwriting. That they do. They are still uh, definitely
1: checking out your your credit and income and all that. And that is a that is a good thing. So. Yep. Before we move on to the last part of the show, we've been talking, you know, to break the fourth wall for about 40 minutes before we started recording. But you know, you definitely have uh, some, I think, very good and, and helpful thoughts about preparing ourselves, preparing our investments, preparing our strategies for what might be coming right around the corner, economically, financially, monetarily, all those things. So let's dig into that. What are your thoughts about the next, say, six months to a year? what we can see coming down the
0: road yeah i wish i had a crystal ball because if i did (laughs) then i would be be either pulling up money or putting a lot more money into it but i'd say generally speaking you know today's july twenty sixth. we got a a fed meeting in a couple days that are going to dictate whether or not we have a we're in a recession or not from a real estate perspective my team and I are continuing to acquire as long as we can buy at a discount. And we're typically looking for projects that have multiple exit strategies. So can we buy at a discount? Can we renovate it to create equity and value into the property? And then can we provide multiple exit strategies in terms of a refinance, which would be really expensive right now, a sale you know, to get all the money plus the equity back out, or hold it as a long-term rental, collect on the cash flow, and then weather out a correction You know, however long that may be. Then there's short term rentals. You know, it depends on your asset class, but I'm speaking more about, you know, affordable housing or just housing in general. So we're hoping, you know, not to pass bad juju into the market, but we're hoping (laughs) that there's some distress so that we can pick up deals that, you know, come to market at steeper discounts and then have the ability to turn those units in a way where, you know, we've created some value in them and, Um, either sell them to investors or refinance, keep the cash flow, whatever it may be. But one thing that I want to really send out a message is during recessions and corrections are typically when the greatest wealth is created. As long as you don't lose the money that you have, and as long as your money isn't stuck. So You know, having some cash reserves to be able to deploy. You know, tapping into equity that you have and having cash reserves; those are all great things. Um, Being extra conservative right now and making sure that you can always pay your debt down. You know, the last thing you want to do in the last recession in real estate specifically, people went underwater; they couldn't pay their debts and they lost all their assets and they went back to the banks. And then the the ones with money got even richer in that last recession. It's a normal cycle. So this is. I would say if we do go into recession, it's it's normal. You you need these repricings to put a reset into the market, but you also have to work hard right now. Like these are situations where you have to continue to, to put in the work, um, get a second job if you need to, because there will offer, there will be opportunities to come. It's just hard to tell where they're gonna be. Nice, nice. I love it. Well, I think that ultimately
1: that is a hopeful message because you're absolutely right. Recessions are just kind of part of how these economic systems work. It's part of the business cycle. This is what happens. Let's face it, we shut the world down for two years, printed a bunch of money to get us through the pandemic. And now unfortunately, this is just what happens when you do that. And it's
0: yeah, part of life. I mean. You can only work not work for so long. I mean we're we're a capitalistic society and a lot of that's required for like money to keep moving and you know, keep the engine. Revan. So it's a it's been a weird one. But hopefully it's there's optimistic tones in everything that I say because, you know, if you continue to put in the work, once again, real estate has made more millionaires than any other business out there. And if you put in the time, it's definitely a place where you can gain financial freedom to any level that you're looking for.
1: Love it. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor.
0: The first step to growing your wealth is tracking
1: your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Kevin, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Go for it. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education?
0: Yeah, so... Um, I'll dovetail this investment to what it became. So uh, it was a property purchased with my mom back in 2017. We bought it for 32K, put about 30,000 into it as a sectionary rental. This property sold for 160,000 last year. And then we took that money um, you know, and rolled that into a five unit for 529, which we then put in another 130 and it'll appraise for around a million. So No taxes on this because we 1031 did. Um, That money, you know, when it moved into the other building was about a 590% return. Um, And then when it comes out of this five unit, we'll see what kind of return profile it comes in. But that was just cash flow coupled to appreciation. So high level, if you can bank on appreciation, which I wouldn't bank on right now, (laughs) that's the ultimate multiplier because you're using debt plus a multiplied effect on the value of the building. Love it. Plus, you you briefly
1: mentioned the 1031. There's tax strategy involved in there as well, and, and rolling your capital gains tax into the future. You'll probably have to pay it eventually, but not today, and you can con- continue to compound those gains. 100%. Nice. Not 100% tax, but 100%. Tax. <laughs> exactly. So we had the best investment.
0: Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment.
1: What is the worst investment you ever made?
0: Yeah. So worst investment I made was right as I was quitting my job in 2019, September, um, I was heavy in a fix and flip that my books, my bookkeeping was all out of whack. And I just trusted my contractor that we we're going to be under budget. So that one we purchased for 125. My contractor said it would take about eight weeks to do. I gave him 11. So on the rehab, I said it cost about 80,000. Um, that rehab cost 160,000. Wow. Whoa. Hey, so I was in the building for 285. Um, we sold it for 295. So after Not closing good. costs, expenses, you know, <laughs> carrying costs, taxes, um, cause the tax on the building were like 16 K a year, I netted a pleasant $50,000 loss right after quitting my job. So, wow. uh, you know, going on March that year, a person got a beautiful building. You know, we, we infilled enclosed pool, turned them into like a nice gaming room. It was a six bedroom, five bath house, uh, gutted everything over there. And that was a nice little welcome call to make sure you have your bookkeeping under control. Um, make sure you're watching projects, especially big ones. And then never, ever let a fix and flip um, be controlled by your contractor. Because if, it, if you do, it can get out of control really quickly. And they're just going to run up the bill on you. Take too yeah. long. Most definitely. My favorite question here at the end of the
1: show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing?
0: So one message that I love to preach is to continue to invest. So what I mean by that is it's not necessarily putting your money out there. It's investing in your education. I know we can't (laughs) use that one. (laughs) Invest in people, invest your actual hard-earned money. So really embracing the idea of a growth mindset and continuing to place you know, both your time capital and actual capital into items that are gonna allow you to gain your financial freedom. And people especially, um, as you're in real estate, longer and longer, you'll realize that you it, it's so cliche, but your work is your net wealth because they will connect you with people that you didn't even know you needed to connect with. They'll get you deals that are better than you would have expected. And they'll just give you ideas that are going to allow you to like level up, you know, 10x as is great, Card- Cardone would say. Nice. I love it. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a great
1: conversation here. We've been on the line for an hour and 10 minutes and it's completely flown by. We've been a great conversation, both recorded and non-recorded. If folks yes. want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to find you on the Internet or anything like that, where can they track you down?
0: Yeah. So um, one of the best places to uh, get a hold of me would be my LinkedIn. It's uh, Kevin K. Dugan on LinkedIn, or you can shoot me an email at Dugan at altusig.com, A-L-T-U-S-I-G.com.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, guys. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. I see your reviews and it gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling every single time because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye bye.